You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Hey, it's great to have all of you here this morning. And for those of you who are joining us online, watching this as a recording later on, listening to it as a recording later or live right now, so glad that you're with us as well. So this morning we dive into Matthew chapter 25. And kind of the theme that runs through what we're looking at here is this idea of purposeful waiting. Now those two words don't seem to go together, right? I mean, talk about an oxymoron, purposeful waiting. Because in our day and age and in our culture, we're conditioned to not wait. In fact, we work very hard, most of us, most of the time, trying to eliminate the need to wait for anything. We don't like waiting in line at the post office. We don't like waiting for an app to load. We don't like waiting for DoorDash or Grubhub being late with our food. You know, you fill in the blank, whatever it is. We are conditioned, we are taught not to wait. And that basically, if you're waiting something, then it's a waste of time and not worth your time. And yet what we see in these passages that we're looking at, a theme that runs through Matthew 24 and 25 is this reality of of waiting and purposeful waiting. And actually, some of us at least already know how to do this, whether we know it or not. How many of you like to fish? Any fisher people here? Yeah, I know there is, because you tell me about your fishing exploits, and those of you online, I know some of you as well love to fish. So I got to go fishing on the Columbia this last week, and this is my man, Vinny, Vinny Sylvia. Vinny comes here to Grace. He's usually in person at the second hour, so you may not know him in this hour, or for those of you who are online, but Vinny's part of our crew here. He's also a good friend, and every year he finds a way to get me out on the Columbia to fish for salmon, and I am happy to tell you that after a lot of waiting on Friday, I landed this bad boy. This is my first Chinook salmon I've ever caught. I've caught coho, I've caught silvers, but I've never caught a Chinook. This guy's 19 pounds, so, and it's not a fish story. He really is that big. I didn't Photoshop, you know, the, 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 it really, really did happen. It took about 15 minutes to land him. A little bit different than fishing for trout, you know, hook him, bring him in, drop him. Not, not that way with one of these guys. That's a big fish. You're all invited to a barbecue over at my house today. Okay, it's not that big of a fish, but it's, it's a big fish, and that was so much fun to actually catch something. But that was 99.9% waiting and 0.1% excitement. We were out on the river for six hours, and we were waiting. And any of you who have fished before, you better get used to waiting because that's what it's about. But it was waiting with purpose. When you're six hours on the river with someone, you have all this time to have relationship, to have community, to talk together, to share your lives together. And that's the best part about fishing with Vinny is, is Vinny time. If we get a fish, you know, it's a, it's a bonus. But where we're going this morning in these passages is about purposeful waiting. Because you see, we're in the last days of the return of Jesus Christ. And in the biblical timeline, the last days of Jesus Christ are basically the last 2,000 years. 
We've been waiting for the last 2,000 years for Jesus to return. And if you were with us last week, Gary Brashears took us through Matthew 24, and I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon, or better yet, to watch it, because he had a lot of visuals with the, with the PowerPoint that accompanied that that really helped bring it to life. But this is basically the perspective we are to have as we wait. Don't be deceived. Stay calm. Stand firm. Preach on. But what does purposeful waiting in light of this really look like? We'll enter Matthew 25. So as we prepare to dive into this first 13 verses of Matthew 25, just a little background for you and me. In the first century, in first century Judaism, a Jewish wedding was very distinct and, and very significant. And this is gonna be talking about 10 bridesmaids who were waiting for the bridegroom or the groom. And what's important for you to understand is that the, the groom would go to the bride's house. He would negotiate the bride price with the father, ask for her hand, the father would give his blessing. And sometimes that very day, oftentimes, then he would go and he would begin to gather the wedding party on the way to the bride's house so that when he finally got to the bride's house, the bridesmaids were there, the others who were participating in the wedding were there. They kind of came as this fun procession to the, to the bride's house. The ceremony happened in the bride's house and then they trekked on back and gathered more people for the party back at the groom's house. And usually that's where they would at least live in their opening years was with the groom's family. So you have to understand what's going on here in this parable, this story that Jesus is gonna tell. This is the part where the groom, the bridegroom is gonna be coming to collect the bridal party to then go to the bride's house for the wedding ceremony. And it was a lot of fun, but not if you weren't prepared for the groom to come. Matthew 25, verse one. Jesus saying, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins or 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. Oops. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, hey, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, let's begin to work our way back through this parable and this story. So it says they all became drowsy and were falling asleep. And that's because Jewish first century weddings happened in the evening. They happened at night. Usually the whole thing started late in the evening. Was it reasonable that all 10 of them fell asleep? We talked about this at length at preaching team. And by the way, anytime you hear a sermon here at Grace, it has the fingerprints of at least a half a dozen people on it because we work on all these messages as a team every week. We evaluate them the next week. We work on the next one that week. And so as we were working on this passage together this last week, we were wrestling with this. Was it, was it legit? Was it okay that they all became drowsy and fell asleep? And we, we really believe, yeah, it was. 
because it was an evening wedding. And I know a little bit about this because my bride and I were also married in the evening. I know, this is a picture of us almost 30 years ago. We'll be married 30 years this December, and we haven't aged a bit. God bless all of you. I know, we look, we look exactly the same. But that being said, our ceremony started at seven o'clock in the evening because at our church, because of all the programming we had going on, that was really the only time and the only time of year we could have a wedding like this, so it was in the evening. Started at seven o'clock. We didn't get to the cake part that you're seeing here till like 8.30, I think. And those of you who know me know I did not deserve to have cake smeared on my face, but you know, it happens. Those things happen. But we were tired and there was still a lot of the night to come. In fact, we didn't get to our hotel across town till about one o'clock in the morning. If you're in an evening wedding, it's tiring. And so here are these bridesmaids waiting for the groom, the bridegroom to come, and they get tired and they all fall asleep. That wasn't the problem. The problem was some of them were not prepared. And we hear this story and we read this story and it kind of feels like the bridesmaids, the five who do have the oil, are being a little snarky here and a little selfish, right? We're not gonna sell you any oil. But actually their response is quite reasonable because if they sell or give their oil to the other bridesmaids, none of them are gonna be prepared and have enough oil for when the bridegroom comes. So actually this is quite reasonable, but it also surfaces a very important reality here. You cannot borrow preparedness. You're either prepared or you're not. And where this is going is this, is are you prepared for the bridegroom? Or to put it another way, are you prepared for the return of Jesus? Am I prepared? because that's really the main point of this passage. My friends, it's not a question of if Jesus will come back. It is a question of when. And based on what we looked at together in Matthew 24 last week and other passages, Old Testament and New, there's gonna be no missing it. This is not gonna be a secret return. Everybody, believing and unbelieving, is gonna know when the Lord Jesus comes back. You cannot miss it in terms of it happening, but you can miss it if you're not ready for it. So are you? Are you ready for the return of Jesus? For so many of us, myself included, this does not challenge my daily thinking probably the way it should. Yes, there will be signs that Jesus is going to return, but that's also balanced with numbers of scriptures who say it will also be sudden, and therefore you have to be ready. So what does it mean to be ready? Okay, let's cut to the chase. The Lord is coming back. What does it mean, what does it look like to be ready for that? And he tells us some of what that means here in the passage. What does he say to the bridesmaids who are not ready? I never knew you and they don't get to come to the ceremony and they don't get to come to the party they're shut out and there's a very sobering message there because all throughout scripture 
and especially in the New Testament, if you began to do a study on how often Scripture talks about eternal life, right relationship with God, now and in the future, it's based on knowing Him. One of my favorite verses in the Gospel of John in the New Testament, John chapter 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, and now it's going to be defined. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ who you have sent. Do you know him? Not just know about him. Do you know him? All the bridesmaids knew that the groom was going to be coming. They knew about him. But by their actions, the five who weren't prepared showed the status of their hearts. They knew about him, but they didn't really know him. Or to put it another way, they weren't in right relationship with him. There is a defining moment where you receive Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior. You make him your God. And then you begin to know him. 1 Corinthians 8 declares that those who know God are loved by God. So once again, do you know him? Have you taken that defining moment step where you receive him, where you invite him into your life? Because he wants you and me to know him. And if you know him, it will shape and channel and guide and determine your values, your priorities, how you spend your time, what you do really with your life, which brings us to the next parable. As chapter 25 continues on, a couple things to know about this parable, and some of you are very familiar with this parable. This is the parable of the talents. And what talents are in this parable are not gifts and abilities and things you're good at. It's actually a unit of measure. And it's a unit of measurement for money. And a lot of scholars believe that what we're about to read together, the, the, the sum total of what was distributed to the people in this story was like about $2 million. This was a lavish amount of money that was given to every single one of them. They have different capacities and capabilities, but all of them are expected to do something with what's been given to them and to grow that money on behalf of the master who leaves it with them. So Matthew 25, verse 14. Still talking about Jesus' return here. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So he doubled what had been given to him. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. He doubled what was given to him. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and he hid the master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. 
His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they'll have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. What an incredibly hopeful and sobering story as well. And there's a very clear message here that we wait purposefully by being prepared but also by being productive. At the end of the day, the Lord expects you and me to do something with what he has given us. You know, long ago, and I haven't seen it in a long time, so I'm assuming it's long ago, there was this bumper sticker that was out there quite a bit on cars that said something like, Jesus may return today, so look busy. It was just this kind of cynical attitude of, okay, well, you know, make sure you're doing something. Now, it's not necessarily the heart behind this. One of the things that I love about the emotionally healthy curriculum, emotionally healthy relationships, emotionally healthy spirituality, is it reasonably teaches us to embrace our limitations, to recognize what our limitations are, and to live within those. But we also have to balance that with what Jesus has already told us in Matthew 11, verse 30, where he says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Meaning, he does have an expectation that with what he's given us, he expects us to do something with it. There's a promise there that he does load us, but he doesn't overload us. But he does expect us to work. And unfortunately, one of the broken pieces of our culture is you and I are constantly told and trained and guided quite brokenly and wrongly, to focus on what we don't have. Our culture has taught us to be dissatisfied. Our culture has taught us to compare ourselves to others. Our culture has taught us to ignore in so many ways what God has already given us. Instead of focusing on what you don't have, why don't you and I focus on what we do have? Because you know what we call people who live like that? distinctive. We are called to be thankful. And instead of looking around and feeling sorry for ourselves about what we can't do or what someone else has, okay, with what God has given you, with what that looks like in your life, what are you doing with it? Are you investing yourself into other people? I mean, all of us, all of us are busy. I am busy. 
But I gotta tell you, this parable necessarily makes me stop and think about what in the world am I busy with? What am I doing with what God has given to me? Am I investing it wisely? And, and how am I investing it? And my friends, make no mistake, we can't read past this. Who is it that is condemned among the servants? It's the one who was lazy and did nothing with what God had given him. God invites us to join the divine rescue mission of bringing his kingdom to this broken world around us. And so often you'll hear people say, oh, you know, it's not, it's not me, it's God. Well, I always cringe a little bit when I hear that because I think that's an overemphasis and an overstatement and an underselling of our personal responsibility to respond to the Spirit's work in our life and yes, to cooperate and follow him where he leads us and to use what he's given us. Do you recognize, do you realize, do you appreciate that every person, the three people in this story all had different capacities and capabilities and they were held accountable accordingly? And so once again, we look around and we have this tendency to compare ourselves to others and think, well, I can't do that or I'm not the one up front or I'm not the one getting credit or I don't have what they've been given or I sure wish I had what they had. Okay, park that for a minute. What is it that you do have? With where you are, with what you have, how are you investing it and using it for the Lord? Because so often what we do with what God's been given us is just keep it to ourselves. We make life in our brokenness all about us and we're selfish and we acquire and get and we gain and we try to get more for ourselves rather than investing what God has given us into the lives of others. The bridesmaids proved they did not know God, the ones who weren't prepared by the very fact that they were unprepared for his return. This wicked servant who did nothing with what God had been entrusted to him proved he did not know his master, proved that he did not know God in the bigger picture here because of how he was living his life. The master had lavished, lavished all of them with his money. It was his money. And he lavished them with it. And God has lavished us with his grace. We didn't earn it. He gives it to us. He offers us right relationship with Jesus Christ through receiving him into our lives, not based on our resume, but based on his, because he's a good God. And he's lavished his grace on every single one of us. And we have to repent of this entitlement attitude that we can have at times. Man, I was talking with a guy who um, emigrated here from the Middle East some years ago. I was talking with him a couple weeks ago. And he said, you know, not all Americans are like this. He said, but something that I struggle with in your culture is this attitude of entitlement that your culture has. People are so selfish and they make life all about them. And he said, it's just... It's just stunning to me that I interact with these people who have these attitudes like somehow I owe them something. And sometimes that permeates our relationship with God. We treat him like he owes us something rather than recognizing all that he's given us and the incredible grace he's lavished on us despite the fact that we treat him like he owes us things at times. 
And so the very clear message in the story is do something with what God has given you. And you know what's so fascinating to me about this story is that in each and every example, the master is happy. With the first two, I should say, the first two servants who actually did something with what was given to them, did you notice what he said? Come share in your master's happiness. What is the character of this master? He wants his servants to grow what he's given them. He wants them to flourish. He wants them to be blessed. He wants them to succeed. And once again, the servant who buried the money showed by his very actions he didn't know his master at all. And people who perceive God to be this condemning, unforgiving, unjust, unreasonable, harsh God proved by that very attitude they don't know this God. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible wants to bless your life. He wants to bless my life, but he wants to bless us on his terms and not ours. Why? Because his terms are so much better than what you and I can come up with. And these are some of his terms. If you are using what God has given you, if you are being productive in his economy with what he's entrusted to you in this life, then a big piece of that is serving him and others. Once again, not keeping everything you have for yourself, but recognizing that you've been blessed in order to be a blessing to others. Do you live like that? Do you serve him and serve others? Not just with your money, with your capacity, with your capabilities, with your relationships, with all that he's given to you. With an attitude of gratefulness and recognizing that he doesn't owe you any of it, but he's given it to you, and so out of a heart of thankfulness then, you are a blessing to other people. And this is the path to blessing, serving others and serving him. Some of you experienced that firsthand yesterday. One of the many things I love about Serve East County is that oftentimes we don't say a word. We just go out and we just live distinctly. We pull weeds when no one's looking. That's what I got to do with Pastor Jen and David yesterday at East Gresham Elementary. We're out there pulling weeds. And it was great community with them. But honestly, it was personally fulfilling. I do everything in my power not to miss East Service County each year, what we used to call Community Care Day, because it personally blesses me to just serve and to give with, with really expecting nothing in return. And there were a number of you who were a part of this, just super, super quick. This involved seven churches across East County. 60 people participated from Grace. There were 170 total, and these are the places we serve. Sandy Grade School, Estacada PRC, Reynolds High School, Depot Park, Glen Otto Park, East Gresham Elementary, my father's house, Good News Clinic. And I, you know, I get, I understand. Some of you weren't able to be there for whatever reason. That's okay. This isn't about that, but this is about serving other people and serving people who can't pay you back necessarily, or who you won't get thanked for serving or, or recognizing, that's, that's being productive with what the Lord has given you and me. And we have a unique opportunity to bless two of our own who are part of our global mission staff who are going to be headed out um, to Tanzania, of all places. For eight weeks, they were telling me, so where are Philip and Terry? Come on up here, you two. 
Many of you recognize and, and know this couple. We love them. They've been part of our crew for a long time. Terry was our children's ministry leader for about five years and lived to tell about it. And they now serve together. And so tell us, why are you going to Tanzania of all places and what are you going to be doing there? Yeah, Terry and I will be leading a missionary training school team to Tanzania for eight weeks. We are going uh, for training for those students, and also we'll be carrying uh, 100 audio, solar-powered audio Bibles for an unreached people group. There's these pastors in this group which have, can't read, and so they have no training. I know Jay has a training from Western Seminary and other places. So that's one thing. We'll be carrying a huge suitcase of soccer balls and soccer shoes for a ministry there. We'll also be working with the Maasai people. There's a training, uh, a children's program out in Maasai land where these people live. We'll be going there. Uh, There'll be children's programs we'll be working with in Arusha. So we'll be going for eight weeks carrying these team, a team of six of us, and we'll be working with children's programs and uh, the Maasai people. Wow, and soccer is kind of the universal language all over the world, right? Of yeah. community and participation and relationship. And yeah, we, we probably won't be doing much soccer. I don't play <laughs> soccer, but we'll be carrying stuff to a soccer ministry there. So that's what we'll be doing. And I want to say thank you, Grace, for uh, you know, praying for us, supporting us, and we, we're so honored to be here and be able to share this with you so that you can pray for us as we're going. It's our privilege, too, and it's so compelling that you are taking the gospel to folks who literally don't have access to it. And these pastors, we were talking about this prior to the service, these pastors basically, hey, they were one of the first to accept the Lord, to know the Lord, and then to go into that area. And so, okay, you're the pastor. You're the one who just told me about Jesus, so now you're the pastor of this community, right? So you're giving them resources that will just be invaluable for communicating the gospel. And you'll be over there for eight weeks, right? Eight weeks, Okay, yes. so we want to we pray, pray for, for us you. eight weeks. <laughs> <laughs> we will pray for you. We're going to do that right now. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this example to us of serving others and taking the gospel to those who need it. Lord, we all, we all need your gospel. And Lord, we pray that you would go before them with power. We pray that you would keep their health strong. We pray that you would work in a powerful way, that these resources would get into the right hands, and that someday, for those of us who know you, when we are celebrating at the wedding feast of the Lamb with you, we'll be able to look around that table and look around that area and see folks who came to know you because of this church and Philip and Terry going and taking your good news. Lord Jesus, thank you for them. We bless them and commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, you too. Thank you so much. But the reality is you don't have to be a global missionary like the McCurleys. You don't have to once a year do serve East County in order to serve others with what God has given you. And I know we've covered a lot of ground this morning. And so because of that, I want to create just a little space and a little time for us to hear from the Holy Spirit this morning as we listen now to him and what he has to communicate to us. So I'm going to invite you wherever you're at. For those of you who are watching online or maybe watching this as a recording later, if you're driving heavy equipment or driving down the road, don't close your eyes. God still hears your prayers. But for those of you who can, in the room and online, if you would if you would close your eyes, and I would like to guide us through listening to the Holy Spirit and applying some of what we've heard this morning about 
purposefully waiting for our Lord. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes if it'll help you concentrate. And the first thing we absolutely have to do business with together as individuals is if you know the Lord. Do you know the Lord? Lord, I know that we're all doing business with that. And I pray for those who are watching or listening to this, who don't know you, that they would choose to know you by receiving you into their lives as their Lord and Savior, by saying, Jesus, I want you to be my God. For those of us who do know you, would we remember that defining moment, that defining season when we did receive you and know you as our Lord and Savior? And so now as you think about that, are you living your life like his return really is going to happen? Would you ask him now to give you the opportunity today, this week, to serve someone else? Lord, this has been such a rich time to worship you together, to seek you together. And Lord, we confess that it is so easy for us to lose sight of the reality that you are coming back, to lose perspective on what we have, to compare ourselves to others and think we don't have anything to offer, or just to be selfish and to only think about ourselves. Lord, thank you that because of your grace, because of relationship with you, we don't have to live like that anymore. You love us. You have chosen us. You empower us by your spirit to be the people that you have created us to be. So Lord God, as we prepare to go from here as we prepare to go about our days and our week. Would you help us to recognize your grace, what you have given us? Would you help us to recognize opportunity to give to others? And would you bless us as a result? We want to share in your happiness. And we want to share in your joy. And so we pray all of this for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.
And so I'm going to ask those of you who are gathered here in the room, if you would stand with me as we prepare to go from here and to live out what God's word has called us to. And for you and for those of you who are watching and listening online, I'd, I'd like to call your attention to 2 Peter chapter 3, which I've been reading a lot lately in the New Testament, because in that chapter it talks about the return of Jesus, the day of the Lord. And there's just a lot of practical wisdom there about how we purposefully wait and live in a prepared, productive way for him. But it says this, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of you understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Lord Jesus, as we go from here into our day and our week, would we remember that you are coming back? And would we live our lives accordingly? Would we, would we recognize the grace that you've shown to each one of us? Would we use what you have given us to be a blessing to others? Would we serve even when we don't get thanked, even when we don't get recognized? Because we know that when we serve others, we're really serving you. And that pleases you. And again, we ask this for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. And so go and live for him. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.